Welcome to Technology Transfer IP. Technology transfer is the process by which valuable research, skills, knowledge, and technology developed by educational institutions is transferred to industry for development and to products and services that will benefit society. From basic patent licensing to promoting startups, entrepreneurship, and industry collaborations, while also investing in and managing technology developments. We bring you conversations with the leaders in technology transfer who will share their stories, including their successes, challenges, and expectations for the future. Here's your host, Lisa Mueller. Hello and welcome. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Megan Anseus. She, her, hers. Megan is a licensing and new ventures manager for Kentucky Commercialization Ventures, also known as KCV. In this role, Megan is responsible for outreach and education on matters related to commercialization, along with assessing, managing, and licensing intellectual property developed at KCV partner institutions. Megan's work allows her to pursue a lifelong passion, connecting people together to make it easier to obtain the technology needed to live the life they want. In addition to her work in Kentucky, Megan also serves as the chair of the Autumn Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion, also known as EDI Committee, to help enhance inclusion within the technology transfer community. In fact, Megan received the 2021 Autumn Volunteer of the Year Award for her work on Autumn's EDI Committee. Megan also represents the EDI Committee on Autumn's Cabinet and serves as the co-program chair for Autumn's Central Regional Meeting. Prior to her time at KCV, Megan was a licensing manager at The Ohio State University. Before that, Megan was a graduate and postdoctoral researcher at Colorado State University. While at Colorado State, Megan worked as an intern at the Colorado State University Tech Transfer Office. Prior to attending Colorado State, Megan was a clinical research coordinator at Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center, a graduate student researcher at the University of Utah, and an undergraduate researcher at Case Western Reserve University. Megan received her BS in biomedical engineering from Case Western Reserve University, her MS in bioengineering from the University of Utah, and her PhD in biomedical engineering from Colorado State University. And with that extremely impressive background, welcome to the podcast, Megan. Thank you so much for having me here, Alicia. It's great to be here. Well, it's great to have you, Megan. And I generally like to start the podcast off by asking my guests about their journey to tech transfer. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into tech transfer and how you ended up in Kentucky? Absolutely. So all of my degrees are in biomedical engineering. And I went into this field because I thought who nerds are not as good as they could be. And therefore, I, as a user, was the perfect person to fix them. However, uh, in my undergraduate career, I realized that I was more interested in orthopedics and oncology than electrical engineering. I pivoted to these fields, but with the back of my mind always focusing on making life better for people like me who do have a disability. During a biomedical engineering conference in grad school, I had a networking conversation with a program manager from the NIH, and she knew of someone in the tech transfer field and mentioned she thought it would be a good experience for me, since my passion was more in connecting people and not being in the lab directly. This conversation led to an intern role with Colorado State University Ventures Office, 
during the rest of my PhD and my postdoc. I moved from an intern to a full-time role at Ohio State University, and while there, learned more about what we can do in technology transfer and how we can have an impact within our local and global communities. The program we have set up here in Kentucky Commercialization Ventures was a great alignment between my passion for connecting people, improving the inclusion of minority groups, and looking to make an impact on the community. Well, that's a fantastic and that's a great story. And speaking of Kentucky Commercialization Ventures, for those of our listeners who may not be familiar with it, can you tell us a little bit more about it and what it does? Absolutely. So KCV, as we colloquially refer to it, was formed in July of 2020 as a new initiative program within the Kentucky Science and Technology Corporation nonprofit. KCV is an engine for statewide innovation. It was created to fuel economic growth and ignite life-changing impact for individuals, businesses, and communities, both in Kentucky and elsewhere. As a newly created science and technology public-private partnership, we provide resources to the state's public colleges, universities, and technical college systems to transform ideas into services, products, processes, startups, and investments supported by intellectual property through our partnerships. We have combined our efforts with the Kentucky Cabinet for Economic Development, the Kentucky Council on Post-Secondary Education, the University of Kentucky, and the University of Louisville for a truly statewide collaboration. And our goal is to provide this assistance and support for commercialization and technology transfer to the public regional higher educational institutions. We have 22 of them who have signed on with us, including 16 institutions within the Kentucky Community and Technical College System, Eastern Kentucky University, Kentucky State University, Moorhead State, Murray State, Northern Kentucky University, and Western Kentucky University. Wow, you certainly have a lot going on. So in that sense, can you tell us a little bit about your office and how it's structured? Lisa, I think that that's something that surprises many people is our office is comprised of three people. Oh, my. We rely a lot on our partnerships with the University of Louisville and the University of Kentucky, especially providing assistance in areas that we can't cover, like operations and legal support. We are a new startup ourselves. We're still growing and finding our way. So our resource list is ever growing. For example, we're looking very much excited to bring in our new interns or fellows within the next year. Well, given that there's only three of you, can you tell us how your program's been doing over the last year? And can you tell us a little bit about the metrics that you consider important and why you think they are important? That's a great question, Lisa, because metrics is something that everybody likes to have. How do you know if the program you created is a success unless you have a way to measure it? But unlike traditional technology transfer offices, we're not as focused on invention disclosures, patent filing, licensing agreements, and all those types of things. Instead, we've been really looking at measuring our work via the impact we're having on our regional communities. So things like coaching our innovators through bootcamp accelerators completing outreach and connectivity within the communities, assisting with intellectual property policy development, and helping teams to obtain translational research grants. 
Well, Megan, uh, given that, what do you think is most important in managing innovations to give them the greatest opportunity for success? I think there's two things that are most important. The first one is building a strong, trusting relationship with your innovators. And the second one is building a comprehensive network within the business community. Megan, can you describe for us some of KCV's biggest success stories in terms of successful technologies, startups, etc.? Sure. So as I mentioned, we're all so proud of our innovators who have had successes in the last year. And as I said, success for us looks a little bit different. We aren't really so much focused on those unicorn spinouts, large license deals, or being number one in invention disclosures around the country. So instead, I'm really proud to report that one of my inventors recently won first place in a global health pitch competition going up against schools like Stanford and others around the world. Another all-female inventor team received federal funding in January for commercialization research for their technology. This is the first time in Kentucky history a regional school has been able to receive this type of funding. Both of these teams have put a lot of effort into commercialization on top of having full-time teaching duties and other institutional obligations. We're also excited that both of these teams have filed PCT applications this year, which is the first in the history of their institution. Well, congratulations. That's really impressive. So, Megan, along with great success comes challenges. Can you tell us what two of your office's biggest challenges are? Absolutely. And challenges are something that we're always looking at, not in a negative, but in a way to find something to improve. So for us, getting faculty, staff, and students to think of themselves as innovators and helping our partner institution develop an ecosystem on campus that values technology transfer and commercialization are the challenges we're looking to help to move forward and to overcome. So switching gears, Megan, I'd like to spend the bulk of the remainder of the podcast talking about your work as a leader in EDI. Can you tell us what motivated you to become involved in EDI efforts, particularly in the university and tech transfer setting? So, Lisa, I think the best party is when everyone has an invitation. So working at Colorado State and Ohio State Universities, I engaged with innovators who didn't feel like they belonged because they were not in the STEM field or they were not tenured or they didn't have big federal grants. Combining that with my own feelings of not belonging, I decided to do my best to help everyone feel welcomed, regardless of their origin. Innovation, as we're seeing particularly in the last five years, does not have to exist solely within patentable technologies. Social innovation in particular means finding ways to make the lives of those around us better. And Dr. Ackham at Autumn's 2021 annual meeting made this point very well. The best thing I can do to help spread inclusion and equity is to bring to the table all innovators and support them through education, opportunity, and networking. That's why I like the job I do with KCV so much. Our focus is not on number metrics alone, but on impact and inclusion opportunity. Well, given that, what do you think university tech transfer offices are doing well when it comes to EDI and where do you think they are struggling? (laughs) So I don't want to call anyone out in particular because I think we're all trying to do our best. 
And offices are starting to wake up to the opportunities to engage with some of these underrepresented inventors. And more of these offices are measuring and tracking metrics of engagement within the group. Shout out here to the Women's Inventor Committee from Autumn, which added a question to the licensing survey on 2016 on women inventor engagement. This question is something that's still available today, and I encourage everyone to track and report this. Furthermore, we can also look at reaching out to populations that we're not seeing participation from. If you look at your ranks of innovators, and they all look the same, whether that be race, gender, major, college, or other metrics, think about doing some extensive outreach across your campus to bring in new groups of people. And I think that a lot of times offices are usually spread really thin, and it's really hard to spend capital on these groups and on these initiatives, rather than working with repeat innovators who have proven to be a success and to bring in licensing revenue for the office and for the university. But offices need to be able to make a case that resources are better spent in the short term, inviting everyone to the table and getting them engaged in the process. Even if that means a trade-off of lower invention disclosure numbers or licenses for a few years as you build out your new program. Now, Megan, I wanted to ask you in a similar vein, um, you just talked about university tech transfer offices. Same question, but a little bit broader. What about other areas like corporations, law firms, and even government entities, let's say like the U.S. Patent Office? Where do you think or what do you think they're doing well and where do you think they're struggling? So, Lisa, I think we're all struggling in the same ways. And working with the USPTO on the National Council for American Innovators, I realized that the conversations that we had with groups like 3M and Qualcomm and AT&T are the same conversations that we're having right now within the universities through meetings like Autumn. And that conversation is that people want to do better, they want to be more inclusive, but they just don't know where to start. And again, I encourage people to figure out what your baseline metrics are and to educate yourselves. One of the best things that you can start with is Dr. Lisa Cook's very short podcast on patent racism. And essentially what patent racism is, is it's an economic study that shows that disenfranchised groups are less likely to patent in times of chaos because they're too busy just trying to stay alive for the next day. And when it comes to something like a corporation, we have a unique opportunity within industry groups to really encourage multidisciplinary teams and multiple diverse teams as well. And highlighting that and celebrating that will increase and encourage that opportunity for even more people. So I think that we're struggling because we don't know how to bring in these inclusive aspects. And the first thing I can recommend it's just being aware of it and conscientiously looking to change. So Megan, you mentioned patent racism a little bit earlier. For those of our listeners who are not familiar with that phrase, can you give us a little bit more detail on what patent racism is? Sure. And as I mentioned, I really recommend everybody listening to Dr. Lisa Cook's podcast. But essentially, patent racism is when racial groups do not patent in the same numbers for which they represent the population. And in fact, we see that within economic times of strife for these groups, that they tend to back away from this and not be seen as part of the community. 
So patent racism is when we need to assess and measure who is patenting and why they are or not patenting. So when we look at trying to determine who, Dr. Cook looked at trying to determine race based on things like name or reviewing public information related to the innovation. However, there's been a growing interest in tracking these kind of demographic questions up front so that we can really answer the questions of how racist is the patent industry and what can we do to alleviate that. So either doing in the invention disclosure phase or perhaps when working with a patent attorney to submit your application. And again, this is a bit contentious because marginalized communities worry about biases being implied. And so as part of EDI efforts, we have to work to find ways to include these groups and not to exclude them. Megan, that was a fantastic answer. And I wanted to ask you, looking globally, are there some other considerations on EDI that you'd like to mention? You know, Lisa, I think that that's an important thing to talk about because both of those answers are really more U.S. focused. And while some of these considerations, such as gender, are universal, within each country, there are also individual cultural concerns, such as the caste system in India or the recent issues with immigration in Europe. Within this, however, the messaging remains the same. We need to be open to communication and learning how to bring everyone in. And one of the things that I like to say is that someone is a cultural add to the office and not a cultural fit. Because we're not trying to make a blend. We're trying to highlight and embrace the unique aspects that everyone brings. Furthermore, we shouldn't ask people to code switch, but to bring their authentic selves and to find ways to incorporate all of this unique diversity so that we can have a better, more productive community. Megan, you are the chair of the EDI Committee for Autumn. Can you tell us what led Autumn to form this committee and what some of the goals of the committee are over the course of the next year? Absolutely. And I can't speak to the minds of everyone involved in this, but I think that it goes back to that idea that I mentioned earlier of instigating change. Autumn members have identified the gaps in innovation participation, particularly amongst women. And while that initiative was addressed through the Women's Inventor Committee, it was not enough. Women are not the only group who are not well represented. And when Mark Saddam was selected as chair-elect, one of his goals was to increase inclusion for all groups. So in 2019, at the Columbus Central Region meeting, we founded the EDI Committee to provide insight to the Autumn Board of Directors regarding EDI and to help them develop new initiatives to increase the communities Autumn members engage with. However, within just a few short months of that first meeting, we realized that it wasn't just the board of directors that needed that guidance. All Autumn members wanted more information. All of them wanted to be included, brought to the table, and given an opportunity to assist with EDI. And so the committee has expanded to provide resources for everyone who's interested in learning more. Over the next year, we're going to be running out a toolkit for Autumn members to help them quickly with EDI-related questions. And Lisa, massive shout out and appreciate your work on this project. If you didn't know, Lisa is one of the stellar members of the EDI committee. Autumn is also looking at increasing membership through better engagement of U.S. and global institutions. Well, thank you. And it's uh, absolutely my pleasure to be on that committee. You're doing a great job and it's doing fantastic work. 
So, Megan, one of the initiatives of the EDI committee is a program called the Emerging Member Program. Can you tell us what this program is and what it hopes to accomplish? Absolutely. So this is one of the initiatives I'm so excited about. So as I mentioned, we're looking to engage more U.S. institutions. And chiefly among them at the moment is emerging member institutions. And this is actually a definition that comes down from the federal government. And this is institutions that are on the breakthrough of research who want to take that next step in the commercialization. And with Autumn, we have focused on both minority-serving institutions as well as research and nonprofit institutions who are standing on that precipice. We are running a pilot program over the next two years for these groups that we have identified to bring technology transfer and commercialization support and opportunity and provide them with a network that is so vital for innovation success. Megan, for those of our listeners who are involved in Autumn, where do you recommend they start? That's a fantastic question, Lisa, because I want everybody to be involved. So one of the first places that I send anyone who asks is the Diversity and Inclusion SIG. And this was formed pretty much concurrently with the EDI committee. But unlike our committee, which is limited to 12 members, the SIG is open to everyone. And it's a great place to meet other members who are interested in EDI and to bring forth conversations and investigate new opportunities. For example, one of the initiatives we're looking at right now in the SIG is how to engage law students from underrepresented populations. We meet every single month for an hour to talk about some of these things. And I also encourage everyone to bring up EDI as any part of the groups that you're in. Spread the message throughout all the communities. Make an awareness opportunity for people who haven't talked about it. And then finally, there's a mentor committee with Autumn. If you're interested in being a mentor to a population who you don't see much of, or you want to be a mentee and learn from somebody else, please consider joining the cohort. Megan, I recently listened to a presentation that you gave in which you discussed how you are an ally for minority communities. Can you tell us what you meant by ally and how we can all become better allies for minority and other traditionally underrepresented communities? Absolutely. And, you know, ally is a buzzword right now. But advocates are people who have been around for a long time. And whether you call yourself an ally or an advocate, basically what you are is someone who has intentionality of action on behalf of someone without the same privilege as you. In other words, allies are not self-identified. They are acknowledged by those who are being discriminated against as supporters and a safe spaces for these people to talk to. Allies speak up for others, whether or not they identify the same, and even when that person is not in the room. As an example, I use my pronouns always because I think it's an important thing to share whether or not I look like the pronoun that I use. And we can become better allies or advocates by announcing and acknowledging our privileges and finding ways to offer those opportunities to those who do not have them. We can learn about what we do not know without putting a burden on the marginalized community by using resources available online and having conversations with other advocates and allies. For example, Ask a Mormon and Ask a Muslim are both websites that you can go to to learn about those religious groups. And finally, you can use potentially contentious situations as a stepping stone 
increase awareness, mutual understanding, and growth. Megan, many people focus on gender and race and ethnicity when they want to be more diverse. Can you tell us whether this is the best way to go about it, or do you have some other recommendations for people who want to focus on expanding diversity? Absolutely. And, you know, diversity is something that we all have. So we're all multidimensional. We're not just one checkbox. And while it's great to identify groups to focus programming on, we can't just narrow down our attempts to be more inclusive for all people. We have to think about, regardless of where our diversity comes from, how we can be included and how we can make a form of belonging and welcoming for everyone. KCV, for example, focuses on socioeconomic background as a population that has been traditionally marginalized. These rural communities and regional schools who are not the big R ones, but still have fantastic creators and innovators. And as someone with a hearing loss, I'm an advocate for being more inclusive of people with disabilities, of thinking about how we can help put more inventions into the world to address the needs of this population, and how we can frame our offices to be more welcoming spaces. So when we talk about diversity, gender is extremely important. Race and ethnicity is extremely important. But we're also all unique individuals. And we need to look at ways that we can make a welcoming experience for everyone. Couldn't agree more. Megan, I generally like to close a podcast by asking my guests if they could have any three wishes granted or a vision realized for their office, what would those be? However, I want to ask you this question slightly differently today. If you could have any three wishes granted with respect to equity, diversity, and inclusion, what would those be? That's a hard one, Lisa. Uh, I, can I ask one of my wishes to be more wishes? You know what? I, I get that question a lot, and I refuse to grant extra wishes. But given that this is diversity, equity, and inclusion, you can have more wishes. It's the one exception I'll make. <laughs> I love being an exception. Well, I would say that the first wish is that people are thoughtful, kind, and considerate towards fellow humans. We don't have to understand someone or have the same experience as someone to support them. I would say my second wish, and this is something that I thought a lot about as we continue to get this in the news every day. So my wish is that we can wake up for a whole week and not hear news about another minority who has been murdered in the streets. My third wish is that people educate themselves and do better. You don't have to be perfect to support someone who's different from you. We can find ways to be an advocate and to uplift others without ever even seeing or knowing someone. It takes a concerted effort and desire to be the person that others want to know because you yourself are kind and welcoming. And finally, my fourth wish is that someday in our world, we don't have to measure EDI and we don't have to keep track of how many females or how many people with a disability that we work with because we're inclusive and welcoming for everyone and that everybody has an opportunity. And that's what equity really means. I think those are fantastic wishes. And thank you so much, Megan, for all that you're doing to try and make the world more equitable, diverse, and inclusive. 
So Megan, I can't thank you enough for all your insights and your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. If any of our listeners want to reach out and ask you any questions, where can they reach you? Absolutely. They can reach out at commercialifekentucky.com or send me an email at mantitus at kycommercializationventures.com. Well, great. Thanks so much again, Megan. It's been really great to have this opportunity to talk to you. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for listening to Technology Transfer IP. Please visit us online for more resources at techtransferipforum.com. New to Tech Transfer or a seasoned pro? Autumn is the global member organization for Tech Transfer and is here to help you get connected, get smart, and get ahead. Whether you work in academia, research, government, business development, corporate engagement, or startups, Autumn is dedicated to supporting you through education, advocacy, networking, and promotion. Join and you'll receive 20 free live webinars, as well as meaningful discounts on meetings and courses, insider access to a vast network of colleagues to help you through challenges, and align on new technologies and the university decision makers who license them. Membership is open for 2023. Join us.